Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. All right. Hey, Amos. How you doing, Chris? I'm good. I'm actually, you know what? I'm not good in like a thousand ways, but I did. It, it took a year and a half, but I replaced one of our like main Ruby things with Elixir just last week. Nice. It's done. Nice. Done. It didn't actually take a year and a half. It was like, we just maintained the Ruby thing for a long time. And then it was actually like three months of work uh, so, to replace it. But it's awesome. It feels like, so good. Was it, it a mic- so good. microservice or what was it? Uh, it was like a lot of background um, Kafka processing stuff. So it was originally written in Ruby. Um, went through a bunch of iterations in Ruby. And then finally, a uh, friend of the show, uh, Jason and I were fed up. We were done with it. We said, we had enough. I'm done with this nonsense. Give me a runtime that can do more than one thing at a time, please. And we rewrote it in Elixir into a runtime that can do more than one thing at a time. What was the, what was the process of, of rewriting? Because I have a few of those things and I have lots of ideas about how to approach it. So I'm wondering how you approached it. Um, yeah, that's a great question. That's a really, really good question. Right? Cause I think most of the time, um, everybody will tell you not to rewrite stuff, uh, which is, you know, that's, that is, that is, there's reasons to not rewrite things. Um, I, I mean, it was like a no brainer for our case. Um, what to, if I call to, it replace instead of rewrite? <laughs> yeah. That well, yeah, I, I think, I mean, improve upon i mean like there's all these ways to talk about uh, a rewrite without using the term rewrite um and in fact like we did somewhat rewrite the thing but we also made some substantial improvements um and the way that staggered which i think is the real question you're asking like how do you get how do you go about doing something like that um it required many 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 phases in fact the actual code did not take us is not what took us like three months to do. Uh, it's the rolling it out piecemeal such that you don't break everything that requires the three months to do. Um, and so the way we staggered the work is we actually had a bunch of things that we did in Ruby before we ever started like moving it to Elixir. So we actually uh, made a bunch of changes in the Ruby code. Can you? elaborate on that or is it yeah so internal? like we did we essentially did a bunch of pre-work and the reason we did all the pre-work is because i am a huge believer in the idea that um if you want to replace a service or a thing with another equivalent thing but in a different language or a different runtime or whatever mm-hmm. you first have to like do the replacement and then do the improvement like those have to be two distinct steps and you can't really actually do the improvement until you've done the replacement part. And I, th- and it goes back to stuff that we've talked about on the show before, which is kind of a- akin to like API design. And it's also partly why I feel like uh, it-, it goes back to the whole notion of, of, you know, why I think 
non-breaking changes aren't really like a thing and like you know changing only the internals of a thing allows it you know mm-hmm. is tra- is like opaque to the rest of the world that's why partially why i think that's not really a thing because what inevitably happens is that you attempt to replace the thing and even if you just do a one-to-one translation into your new runtime into your fancy new runtime you're still going to screw stuff up or the, or the semantics of certain things are going to be wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's going to turn out that all the other consumers of that service or those messages or whatever were dependent on the broken behavior on the like thing that wasn't correct there, but they're like, they've worked around that system. Right. So if, if you change the payloads, right. If you change the Kafka payloads that you're producing, even if it's right now, you have potentially and probably broken the consumers of it because they're not anticipating it being correct. Mm-hmm. They've actually built their systems such that they anticipate it being incorrect. So I'm a huge believer in the idea that if you want to improve something and by improve, it's like, well, we want to get this into Elixir and then we're going to be able to like run this massive concurrency thing and like do batch processing and you know be really like highly parallel and concurrent. You actually can't do any of that work until the old thing's dead. The old thing has to like be completely replaced before you can do any of the improvement. And so I've been known to do things like replace a service and have it be less good, even though it's in Elixir. Like do the wrong thing intentionally just to be completely backwards compatible with the old thing. It's like bug if you for, try to are, are you saying bug for bug? Or are you saying like make it slower? Yeah, like make it slower, like do it like more inefficiently or do the wrong thing and like leave notes where it's like, this is incorrect. This shouldn't be how this is. Now, now that we're seeing it with like the, the fullness of being able to look at the entire system and really understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that this isn't actually correct, but we're doing it anyway because downstream systems rely on that. So you're, the, those are all going into the new code base, those notes yep. and everything. Okay. Yeah. So you write all that. You do all that first. That all has to happen first. You know, you can't do the thing where you want to like, where you extract, you, you can't simultaneously extract something from an established service and also try to change it and improve it. That just doesn't work. You have to sort of replace it whole cloth and then start the improvement process. Because if you try to do both, you get bogged down and you'll never complete it. Or it's been my experience that you'll never complete those things. Like if you try to do it all at once, you never, you never uh, complete the task. The other really important thing, and this goes back to the like, you'll never be able to complete it, is you need to put it into production as basically as quick as possible without, you need to put it in production as quick as possible without breaking the old thing and transparent to everybody else. Like no one should know that it's in production, but it needs to be in production. And so a big part of the fixes that we were making that we did in Ruby was ensuring that every operation was item potent. Like most of them were already, but we needed to do some initial extraction of stuff. We needed to ensure that certain notification sending things, it wasn't, it wasn't possible to send like duplicate notifications out. Like we had to do all this work ahead of time to make sure that everything could be item potent because if it wasn't item potent, then we couldn't run the old Ruby stuff next to the new Elixir stuff. I see. And that was key. So your plan was to run them together then? And we did. And, okay. the, and we did run them together, essentially. Once we did all this ahead of time work. 
So we did a bunch of work in Ruby to fix things and to improve things and make things ready for us to be able to start porting the logic. And then as soon as we ported anything, we pushed it to production. And that was safe at that point to do. And so that way, if for whatever reason, we did have to drop the project, mm-hmm. like the world wasn't going to move so far ahead of us that we couldn't catch back up again. Because as we moved stuff out of the out of Ruby and into Elixir, we went, got that working, and then went back into Ruby and deleted it. So they're like basically the window of time where there was two things running in production where they could become divergent. For instance, like somebody needs to add something to Ruby. And then like, how do you do you go and then like update the Elixir one to match the new thing in Ruby and blah, blah, blah. Like all this sort of like middle period mm-hmm. that you need to like make that that window tiny. That window needs to be measured in hours. And so, so we you, would, so if you have a bug fix, you're not trying to do it in two places. Exactly. Cause again, mm-hmm. that now you're back to, this will never happen. Mm-hmm. This will never get done. If you have to make changes in two places and it's, it's, it's essentially the same as like a long running branch, right? We all know the, the costs of having a branch that lives for too long, which is that it gets out of date of master. You have to like keep rebasing it. Um, if you diverge too far away, you're going to have these crazy conflicts. You have to c- try to keep up with everything. So yeah, so the, the point being, if you get out of sync too much, it's never going to get done. So you need to get into production as quick as possible, which means that getting into production needs to be safe. And that's basically the key. Like if you can get into production as quickly as possible, then you're good to go. And so that's, that was the main, so we did a bunch of work to ensure that we could get this stuff running side by side for at least a small window of time. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it looked good and we verified it in production, everything's like looking cool. We would go in and delete the Ruby stuff. Again, you had like a release of the Elixir app, watch it for 30 minutes. Yeah. Hour. For, for some amount of time. Sometimes already, you let it already, soak overnight. Already have the Ruby staged with the deletion. Mm-hmm. So you're not yeah, or just like after. Yeah, and then just once we were done, we just went in and deleted it, redeployed the Ruby stuff, and let it let it do its thing. And like we just slowly ported stuff over like that, bit by bit by bit. So from the time that you actually released the first Elixir mm-hmm. bit at all, mm-hmm. till you removed the absolute last bit of Ruby, how long was that? Was that three months? Six? Yeah, months? that was about a three month project. I mean, there was like a little, uh, there was a, a bit of work to i don't remember exactly the timelines but there was a fair bit of work to like just make sure that was safe we had to scaffold a bunch of stuff out and spin a bunch of stuff up and then kind of like incrementally roll these things out and then um yeah but by the time it was done i mean basically the benefit of that is no one noticed nice. we had to send an email out to the business that was like we did this thing a couple of, i mean people our managers and stuff like knew we were working on it but at the end of it we sent out this email that was like so now this is just better like and, you know, and we did it and hopefully nobody noticed because if anybody noticed then we've done our job incorrectly, if you're ever doing a rewrite of stuff and people notice that you're doing it, like you've sort of failed, like there should never be a cutover point where you're like, and now we're going to go to production and now it's like a big deal. And now we do this giant cutover. Like those things don't work. They never work. And they never, for, because no, I mean, the first step is like, they never get done. If you right. attempt, if your plan is we're going to work, take six months and rewrite this thing and then take all of our traffic and point it at the new thing. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that's never actually a project that's going to happen. You're never going to get that project done. Second of all, when it, even if by some miracle it does get done and in, like it'll probably take double the amount of time that you say it, it's going to take 
Um, once you get it into production, it'll be broken. Nothing about it will work. And everyone will notice what you're doing. Uh, and that's, and you failed at that point. Like that's not acceptable as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So you have to think of it as how do we get this out today? Like what's the step one that we can take today to put this into production? Because it, it has to live in production and we have to be able to cut over incrementally. Um, we have to, and it's, it, you know, we have to minimize the, the, the possibility of failure. We have to minimize um, the possibility of users seeing that failure, all those things especially if it's something critical to your business. And let's face it, the only reason to rewrite anything is because it's critical to your business. Right. The stuff that doesn't get rewritten is the, is the superfluous stuff that no one cares about. You only rewrite stuff that ends up mattering because that's the stuff that everybody's touching, uh, everybody needs to depend upon, it needs to be more reliable, all that kind of stuff. Unless you just are really bored. You're not going to go rewrite, you know, the widget service that no one uses or gets like 10 requests every couple of years or something like that. Well, so, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to port stuff over because of the same reasons, like can give me a language that can do more than one thing at a time. And we have a pretty crufty code base that we're trying to move over. And my original thought, which you're, you're kind of changing my mind a little bit, maybe, uh, but I think was to go to something more like uh, what Steve Bussey did at, at sales loft. And that is take something that doesn't have to write to a database, like some kind of reporting dashboard type thing that has a lot of data on it and move it over mm-hmm. and allow it to take, take advantage of like a, a gin server and, and Phoenix web sockets and channels, stuff like that. But if that I can, can work as well, I mean, well, but, there, but, but there's the lots moving, of ways to do it. The moving processing over though is probably the bigger bang for the buck if I can figure out how to do that. Because a lot of stuff that we do, we want to be doing in more parallel fashion. Right. Yeah, I mean, the tricks are always going to be... I actually don't think it matters too much what you pick. It matters a lot how you choose to do it. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, if you can pick a problem that fits this shape, which is like, you can put some sort of proxy up in front of all your calls. You know, let's say it's a web service. You can put a proxy in front of that. Uh, and then, and actually as part of this, we do, we did have a service that we needed to hit a web web service we needed to hit. We actually did extract that functionality as well as part of this whole big thing. And so literally like one of the first tickets we did is we went into our front door API and added well, it's a little library. It's based on scientists that GitHub maintains. I I wrote a version of that for Elixir, but it basically allows you to execute two code paths concurrently, but always returns the result of you know your control, like your the thing that you want to maintain. But it does things like compares the response time, and then it also compares the result from both what, of them. What's this called? It's called Alchemy, and and it's open. Yeah, it's on my GitHub. It's like the first thing I ever created for Elixir. Nice. Um, but it lets you do things like compare the results and filter the results and that kind of stuff. And so that was literally the first thing we did. And the other service wasn't even really alive yet. It had like an up endpoint. So it's like that, or, Oracle property testing. For production. In, in production. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I exactly. Like it. So we just had it short circuit out of, the, out, of the bad, uh, out of our new thing and just always return the good thing. But we put that in production immediately. 
because then it was safe. It was totally safe to deploy our new service. And we could start and we could literally track in a data dog graph how close we were getting to correct. And for certain um, things nice. you're, you're gonna get for certain things you gotta be fuzzy, you know, because there's timing involved and there's asynchrony involved. And so you just gotta be close. So we did a lot of like close checks, so, like how close are we getting? So you mentioned Datadog. Do you think that having um metrics telemetry type data in the old and new new is like a prerequisite. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You, you need to be able to measure all that stuff because again, it's not really, I mean, maybe it is for your use case, but it's, it's probably not acceptable to roll out a brand new service and then double the latency. Well, okay. Okay. You know true. I mean? that kind of uh, especially if you're doing a service, especially. Yeah. 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 And well, and for background processing with Kafka processing, one of the main things we wanted to do was, decrease error rates um, and decrease and increase throughput. That was a major reason we wanted to do this. Um, Cause there was stuff in Ruby, man, like, like I'm so over it. Ruby is such a joke. Like, and the tools around it are such a joke. Like that, as long as that thing has run in production, if it ever dropped a database connection, it couldn't recover from it. I've never we've seen it be that. able to recover from it. We've run into that. How is that? How is that a, not a solved problem? Yeah, yeah, we like, we like have, what in the world, team? If a writer goes down and a reader is promoted to a writer, the whole system stops working. Uh, I've seen it multiple times, uh, and the only solution is restart. Yeah, like, we, restart the entire Ruby your VM. Like, uh, yeah. how, how we tried, I read so much Active Record source code trying to figure out how that crap worked, and that was impossible to <laughs> our, see. Our only thought is we put a um, like a catch at the top level of the system. Yep. It says if I get a MySQL error, mm-hmm. disconnect and then reconnect. Yep. But I with Active oh, Record, I think oh. that you have to do that with every model. Oh yeah. Okay. So let me tell you all about adding giant amounts of try catches around everything, <laughs> and then including and including uh, the same four lines everywhere, which is oh, like. Yeah. Drop the connection, uh, force it to reconnect. Make sure you catch that error in case it can't reconnect, and so you don't retry in like a, you know, crazy loop and then blow the whole thing up. Yeah, let me tell you all about how that. I literally we we spent so long just trying to get Active Record to reconnect to databases that we eventually gave up. But we was like, we just can't do it. It's actually impossible, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Every permutation of try catch. Rescue active record, no SQL error thing. Oh my gosh. Like I was at my wits end. Like, yeah. You just need to tell your container it's to, staggering to, to, to restart. <laughs> it's literally, it's actually staggering to me that it's like essentially an unsolved problem. How do people run this crap in production? I, I don't know. I don't know how I did it for so long either. And, it blows and I my remember mind. running into those problems and we had stuff set up to, to do what you said. Like, if you get a MySQL error, just exit. And then you we had something like a Monit that would restart it. Yeah. So <laughs> so that's fixed. And then all I mean, all the you know, obviously the other benefits are like our throughput's, you know, way higher now. I mean, we had have tail latencies in the Ruby consumers that would just be like mini seconds. And for inexplicable reasons, I don't know what happened. Had tons of like memory bloat. We had to constantly restart the things like. It was just a total mess. And beyond that, like at the end of the day, none of us, you know, the people who really knew how to write Ruby at Bleacher Report are gone. 
we're essentially an elixir shop at this mm-hmm. point. Like we know how to write elixir. Um, we hire people now and there are still some of the old guard and I've, I've been guilty of this who assume that people know Ruby just because they know elixir and the, and they don't, they know elixir and maybe like JavaScript. That's kind of, that's, that's nice to see too. Cause at one point it's great. It is that everybody that you hired that did elixir was either an Erlang developer or a Ruby developer. And most of them were Ruby developers. And now, now you're, you're, we're getting new people into Elixir. They're like, I came from .NET or, mm-hmm. or Python or whatever. It's, so it's, it's nice to see that, that community. I think that's a good community growth right there. That's a good metric. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. But that was another reason to move away because we didn't know how to debug that crap in production. You know, there's no yeah. like, there's no tracing. There's no, there's no ability just to get into the system and start, you know, poking around. Or maybe there is, but we're none of us are schooled in that. Or very few of us. There's a handful of people who like really understand the Ruby VM, but I, I certainly don't. And it just, I mean, it's it's a it's a critical enough system that we need that amount of like visibility into it. We need to be able to like remote into the running box and start, you know, using recon to poke around and figure out why stuff's not working. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, every it's the, it's the, it's a tale as old as time. We dropped 50 actual VMs to two ECS tasks. So it's like not even a fair comparison. Wow. That was just in production. So, uh, and we and, and the performance is better. <laughs> like that's the other thing. The, the performance is way better and it's doing more by and large. The Elixir consumers are doing way more than the Ruby ones did. That's so it's pretty, it's pretty great. That's amazing. Like Uh, our, our, the absolute max latencies that we've seen from the Elixir consumers for any given uh, message that it's processing is about half of the average latency of the Ruby consumer. So max is half of average. (laughs) Wow. It's, it's, it's pretty staggering. Did, did you find any downstream systems that were not able to handle the new speed? No, nothing, nothing couldn't keep up because most of the other downstream stuff is, was already Elixir. Okay. So it was fine. Uh, and the downstream stuff isn't as time critical as a lot of this stuff was. Like, this is very publicly user-facing when it gets slow. And we've improved, you know, once we did it, that was, this was another great thing. Is like, once we ported everything, then now we're in the phase of like, okay, sweet. Now, how do we like optimize this? Mm-hmm. How do we make this even better? And there's a lot of making it even better to be done, which is really cool. And that's, that's the really exciting stuff because now we can actually start to optimize it. So we knew it would be faster. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised with how much faster it is. To be honest, I would have taken it, I would have taken a uh, 0% faster if it just ran without me having to worry about it every day. Uh, <laughs> okay, like if it just enough. ran in production. Um, so we got the best of all worlds. It's been really fun. And it's really exciting to see a project like that, that you've wanted to do for a long time to see it through the end. It's one of the few times, like, I think we've really, I've, I've been a part of a, a replacement or rewrite project that really did kind of see, got that went all the way to the finish line. Like the old thing's done. It's I deleted, we nuked the code out of the repo. It just sits there with like a readme at this point and just a few like, like crufty files and, this stands as a testament to time 
and the people who came before us. You're you're leaving it around for code arcology? Basically, yeah. Like the repo, I'm not going to delete the, the repo from Git or anything like that. It's through <laughs> GitHub. It's going to sit nice. there forever. Nice. A, you know, be a, 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 sort of a, an object lesson on, on a VM choice. But that's I, the other I, thing. It's like, it. this is the thing that I, I can't get over. It is like, I know I keep saying this, but we essentially did a one-to-one rewrite of what I consider to be not highly optimized code. And so essentially like we're swapping the VM and we're not doing anything fancy. We're not using a ton of extra concurrency. We're basically only using the concurrency that we use. We're really only getting, I would say, you know, it's fault tolerance more than it's parallelism. Mm -hmm. And it's still just like better. Like the performance is so much better, basically just because you swapped out the VM. Like that's bonkers. (laughs) <laughs> like it's just the vm it, well yeah i i've had similar experiences in 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 like small cases where I, i've swapped out something that was in ruby or um node actually and swapped it in for a small amount of elixir code mm-hmm. and ended up having to build a pool because otherwise I was killing the downstream service. So right. I had a pool that when you check the resource back into the pool, it actually wouldn't let it be checked out for a certain amount of time. Right. <laughs> so, just so it would slow it down enough. You'd um, get some back pressure in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was I was just pummeling the endpoint. Um I've shut shut down Elasticsearch that way. Mm-hmm. Mongo. <laughs> That's really easy to do. Um, yeah. And I can't remember, there was a third thing that I ended up shutting down. I, I was like, look how much faster this is going to be. No, it wasn't faster because we killed the downstream thing. Um, it ended up being faster ultimately. But like day one was like, we turned it on and then we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> right. So yeah, I, everything about it's been better. Our visibility into the system's better as well. Like part of that's because we understand the tracing, you know, because we we yeah. had a hand in a lot of that. And so easier to find errors now it's easier to see kind of like what's going on um and i you know there it's not all upsides i will say like there is more lines of code in the elixir version actually like for sure there's more line there's more actual lines of code um but a lot of that is because so much of the ruby stuff is just implicit uh like all the active record junk you know, you're just randomly doing database calls that you don't even sort of really see. Uh, and the other big thing is error handling. Like all the Ruby stuff just will throw exceptions without really knowing why. Uh, and in all the Elixir stuff, you know, you're typically returning. You either are explicitly know you're going to raise an exception or you have a pattern match, like a direct pattern match on, some, on, the, uh, on the Elixir result type, mm-hmm. <laughs> the okay error tuple. So. Because of that, the error handling became much more explicit in the Elixir version. So there's a lot more code. But that was a pretty reasonable trade-off to make. What was the hardest thing about, about building it this way? Oh, um, the hardest thing? Honestly, like... I, the, the actual rewriting of all the... Well... There's a handful of things. One is entropy had not been contained very well 
in the Ruby one. And I think that's just like inherent to how code bases like that grow. Mm-hmm. You know, entropy just spreads. But uh, honestly, the hardest thing is like politics. The hardest thing is just convincing people that this is a good use of time. So how did you? Which, how did you do that? Just I wrote a document. It's like what I spend half my time doing. It's like writing up why we're going to do something. You know, well, to justify why to do it. Because I think that is actually important. Like you need to figure out why you want to do something to validate it. Like you don't want to do it just because it's fun. Mm-hmm. You need to do it because it provides like some sort of value. Some of those things are easier to measure. Like we can pretty easily measure money. Uh, and in this case, we could save a fair bit of money on just server costs mm-hmm. where the time expenditure, you know, you can make it back <laughs> in like a pretty reasonable time. It's enough money that it's super worth doing. But you have, and then you can also say like, you know, here's the development costs. Like here's how hard it's going to be. Here's how hard it is to work on stuff right now. Uh, we believe that we can make it easier for people to work on these things. We believe that we can make it easier to test and to deploy to production and to deploy to all of our staging environments and all these kinds of things, all these benefits, right? So it's a real big, you, if you can show people actual wins, right? Mm-hmm. And show them a plan. And I think really plot out what the steps are going to be. Uh, it's funny, like when we first showed when we first showed people our plan, which was like a mini step plan, right? Like it, cause again, it goes back to the idea that I have, which is you have to do this in chunks. You have to do it in safe ways. You have to take the time to make sure that no one's going to notice you did it. I was literally told by someone higher up that that was the opposite of what we needed to do. We needed to make a huge deal out of this and get everybody like aware of it and all in like, we needed to do one big cutover and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, that's never going to work. So I'm just not doing that because they saw the, the list of 10 steps. And then, you know, we're like, that's going to take too long. We'll never get buy-in to do this. That person's not with the company anymore. So I don't feel bad maligning them uh, as I'm doing right now. You didn't now. say their name. So we're good. No, I'm not going to, uh, you know, of course not. That'd be, that'd be terrible. I'd be a, be a jerk. But um, luckily, like other people trusted us that we were on the right track of how to roll this out. and so. Having that plan in place is really, really important. Having actual tangible metrics of like why we should do it is really important. And I think the big thing, and I think this is a thing that people overstep a lot because it seems obvious to the people sort of in the middle of it, mm-hmm. is you need to quantify what success looks like. You need to be able to show people like, if we do this, here's how we'll know we are successful. And here's how we can literally measure that success. And so it might be saving a bunch of money on your AWS bill. It also might be throughput or it might be whatever, like whatever metric you want, whatever key metric you're trying to optimize for. But you do need a way to sort of say, we will know we're done and successful when this happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes a long way towards putting people's minds at ease. So do you, do you get down to the nitty gritty when you specify those goals? Is it like, we're going to we're going to lower our AWS bill um by at least 5% or is it like we are going to hit this number i don't know maybe at least 5% still that is it is it i'm just going to lower our AWS bill or is it i'm going to lower it to x i think if you're talking about measuring success you need to be pretty specific about what it is that you're actually trying to achieve and in, some, in certain cases you may not know like for instance, like we knew we would have better performance. We didn't know how much. And so we were pleasantly surprised by how much we could save. 
and we figured that out pretty quickly. Basically, we, once we had the first little bit of it done, we could kind of you know extrapolate out like how how hot are we running right now? How much you know? What's like? Are we able? Are we going to be able to like ha- have X number of throughput per compute resources, et cetera? And like we could do that math to find the sort of the line mm-hmm. of how much money we think we're actually going to be able to save. And that took a little bit of pre work. Like you can't just guess at those things like that's not useful you need to actually go and try to measure it and do a real benchmark and find out mm-hmm. but um you know once we knew that we could actually say like we're going to save x number of dollars so you have to do a little bit of work i think it's really worth doing that because it validates not everything needs to do this like some things are small right some things some things you you just it, it doesn't take much because you can intuitively understand it but when you ask for three months you know, when you ask for an entire quarter of your fiscal year to go work on something, you need to be able to provide value. Now, this is just the name of the game, whether you like it or not, right? Like whether right. I don't like capitalism, but this is part of this is part <laughs> of the game, right? Like, like I also want to build cool stuff. And part of building cool stuff is showing that like what you're going to do has value. And the more specific you can make that value, the better you're going to be. Like, don't make mm-hmm. crap up, but, you know, show people that something, show them some, some sort of success metrics. Right. Which is hard. That's the hard work of, that's the hard work that's not fun. It, it's hard knowing, like you said, you know, you know that you're going to probably be more performant, but how much? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's, that's really that's hard. To, that's hard to hard. come up with without writing it. Like, you could, you could show them a Hello World app in Rails and a Hello World app in Elixir. And be like, here's the times, but that right. doesn't necessarily extrapolate to. Uh, we're processing uh, files that have a million lines in them. Well, and it's really hard to quantify stuff like this. Code base is going to be easier to use. It's going right. to be easier to do development work in. That's really hard because that's a hundred percent subjective. Like, yep. not even not questionable. That is a that is in a that is a subjective metric. Unless you're me. And then it's objective. It's an, <laughs> it's an objective truth. <laughs> so you have to find stuff that's like slightly more quantifiable. You can certainly list those as benefits. Like we believe that we can reduce the amount of complexity by X things. This goes back to the idea of not using weasel words like refactoring. Like, you know, just like actually say what you're going to do and say why you think it's going to be beneficial. And then people can choose to believe you or not mm-hmm. um, based on their own subjective measurements of the, of the thing. But the more objective things that you can get, like we believe we can hit this throughput, you know, that's a, those are, those are really tangible things. Mm -hmm. So unless one of your success metrics is like, uh, I have this new employee and they're going to get up to speed and be able to ship features within a week or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's a thing you could write down. It's going to be hard probably to craft that. It's going to like, it's going to be hard to execute that plan. I think I, I have, I have definitely seen in places where one of the things that you can write down is you're going to be able to keep your staff mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because, because they all want to leave. Um, right. And right. you need, yeah. you need to, you need to hand them a carrot mm-hmm. and, and hopefully it plus that has all these other benefits too, like right performance, stuff like that. Like the old code base is so hard to work in that nobody wants to be there. And they all have an interest in this new thing that also has all these benefits over the old one. So if you do that, you'll probably keep them and get the added benefits. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely included the fact that most of our employees don't really understand Ruby at like a really deep level mm-hmm. as a reason to do this for sure. Yeah. It's not a success metric per se, but it's like, I don't know. Like I am a firm believer in that you should use your favorite tools. Like you should use your favorite hammer to hit most nails. Right. Even if they're not nails. <laughs> you I mean, like screw with a hammer. That's fine. I don't know. I always, I've probably said this anecdote before, but one of my favorite uh, professors from college would, I had this thing. I mean, he had, he was filled with like, he was actually more filled with anecdotes than any sort of actual sort of teaching. (laughs) I learned a lot of anecdotes from this dude, Um, but he was rad and he would totally like talk to you in very real language about what it was like to be a real engineer. And one of the things he would always say is if you give me a big enough engine, I'll make this building fly. And I think there's like a lot of wisdom in that, Mm -hmm. uh, in that you can pretty much make whatever tool you want work. And what matters so much more than the tool is your excitement and energy and your team's excitement and energy, uh, and their knowledge, how much infrastructure you have around that, that specific tool. Like you could totally make it work. Like if we were a different company with a different team, we would have made a Ruby work. Not a problem. Yep. Lots of people make Ruby work and they run it high, at really high scales. So I'm completely convinced that somebody could have made those, that, those Ruby systems function. That's not us. Like We're not the team to do that because none of us care. <laughs> none of us like Ruby. Or the ones of us who do are completely fine replacing it, like have no love for it in, in, in as much as they're not like ready to get in and like fix it, fix the Ruby code. Mm-hmm. We were all very excited about it being an elixir. That's our team makeup. And so it makes sense for us. It just so happens to be that this is a good fit for elixir as well. But there's plenty of there's plenty, plenty of things that we do with elixir that aren't good fits, quote unquote, for elixir. But right. we do them anyway because that's the tool that we understand. And that's the tool that we like. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like Slack makes PHP work. Slack's like PHP is not on its face a good fit. Wait, a real-time that, chat is that, company. Is that why my Slack is broken all the time? Well, I mean, you know, here, I cannot say. But I'm just Re- saying, like, <laughs> there's plenty of, you know, GitHub runs on Ruby. Like, Pinterest ran on Python for a long time. Facebook is... Facebook P- had to had to build their own, you know, VM. Compiler, yeah. So, none of those are, like... <laughs> none of those I would classify as the quote-unquote best tool for the job. Because that's a dumb saying. That doesn't mean anything. Like. The best tool for the job is the tool that your team is using, that they love, that they are happy to be working in. And of course, yes, languages and VMs have trade-offs. They all have different characteristics. And those do matter. They're like an order of magnitude. Those differences are an order of magnitude less important than does your team want to use this every day? It does not matter that Java is faster at math than Erlang is. Like if your team hates Java <laughs> or hates any of the languages that run on the JVM, right. or if your team doesn't know how to tune JVMs, or if you have no like experience with JMX metrics or like, you know I mean? There's, there's all these reasons to choose things. Mm-hmm. The capabilities of the VM are certainly in that list, but 
there's so much less important than my team wants to do this. The whole team is excited about this. Like if you've got a whole team of people who are excited about something, that is your choice. There is no other choice because they'll just figure out how to make it work. Nice. Yeah, that's my that's my feeling on it. So for us, it made total sense to replace it in Elixir and we're much happier. It just so happens to be that Elixir is like really well suited for this problem as well. So it ends up working out. I, I'm at this point where I'm just like really happy for you. I can see in your <laughs> in your demeanor that you're better. I needed a win. I needed an emotional victory. And I feel very fulfilled that this, that it's now kind of, it's, it's happened in the past week. You sort of needed that emotionally. Well, congratulations to you so. and, and Jason Stewart and everybody else over there at, uh, at Bleacher Report. It's been good. It's been a great, I've been, we're very, very happy. Good deal. I don't really have anything else for today. I don't know if you have anything. We, we, um, we are keynoting. No. Yeah, uh, we're going to be at VirtualEliXirConf.eu. Virtual ElixirConf for you, right? I'll be, I don't know if by the time this comes out, it'll matter, but I'll I'll be speaking at uh, Codebeam Virtual, which is on the 28th of May. So what? probably our... won't be out by the time, that might might be coming out the same day, at which point, you know, it might be slightly too late. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Find the recording if, if it's passed. Uh, and and Virtual ElixirConf EU is... I can't remember. Is it 18th and 19th of June? It's June. What I know is that it's June. It's June sometime. So virtual.elixirconfeu.com and and you'll you'll find the right dates whether we're right or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that'll be fun. You, Anna, and I are all going to be doing a a keynote together. Who knows what we're going to see how that we're going to see how that goes. Yeah. Oh, we it's can very barely unclear. We can barely talk to each other weekly. I don't know how we're oh, going to make it through thirty minutes. <laughs> I don't you listen. And it's early in the morning too for us, so it's going to be yes. fun. Yes, are we going to? That was that was one of my questions. It it, it might be live. It might be pre-recorded. You we'll never see. know. You'll have to show up to find out. Either way, it will be unique. That's right. It's going to be an event. That I can't <laughs> promise you that it'll, it'll be good. Right, train wrecks aren't good, but they are unforgettable. <laughs> so, so, so you come and cheer at us or laugh at us. Either way, we're we're pretty excited to do it. Yep. All right, let's put this up. On that note, enjoy your lunch. Yep. I'll see you next week. All right, take it easy, sir. <laughs>